0: This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One Major League Soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The
1: blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space. Michael
0: Barr. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi Williams.
1: Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier.
0: And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred.
1: Heidi O'Neill is president of Direct to Consumer at Nike.
0: And then the race car driver Helio Castroneves.
1: Jared Smith, President of Ticketmaster Bloomberg Business of Sports, from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Evan Novi williams
0: And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports, and we join with Boston's own Mike Lynch. And, gentlemen, let's get at it. I am sure ESPN is saying, thank you, sweet Merciful, for <laughs> being able to air The Last Dance. That's the Michael Jordan documentary It's uh, something that ESPN needs. They need ratings, and I bet you they got great ones after this.
1: Yeah, Michael, I'm fascinated to see what the final numbers are. The first two episodes of the 10-episode Last Dance aired on Sunday night. Uh, again, not much competition programming-wise uh, from a sports standpoint. Uh, again, this is the, the Netflix ESPN collaboration about the, the sixth and final NBA title won by Michael Jordan back in 1998 uh, with the Bulls. Certainly a lot of social media chatter around it. Uh, What are we thinking? Mike, start with you. From a rating standpoint, you know, are we thinking five million more or less?
2: You know, we were so starved in the sports world that we would have uh, just gobbled up a ham and cheese sandwich and ESPN offered up uh, filet mignon and lobster in uh, episodes one and episodes number two and everybody that's been starving for something gobbled it right down and was looking for seconds and they got a second because they, they're running two episodes every Sunday night which used to be reserved for the Sopranos and Ray Donovan but now it's going to be the last dance. The only thing that's missing is uh, Donna Summer singing uh, uh, in, the, in the in the background right here but uh, the timing couldn't be more perfect um, it's, uh, uh, I've seen, I didn't watch the first two shows, I DVR them, but I've seen enough of the clips and, you know, being a Celtic fan up here in Boston, um, this sort of uh, came after the Celtic run in the early eighties and then the Pistons run. And then of course, uh, that great run of six championships in, in eight years. So I, I think the numbers will be, be off the charts, uh, as long as people stayed awake because I think it started at nine <laughs> o'clock eastern time, <laughs> and sleeping sleeping has been one of the uh, it has now become a varsity sport around the country
1: <laughs> it, it 's hard to imagine a piece of original content that ESPN could put out. That would have a bigger reach and a bigger interested audience than a long form documentary about those you know crazy NBA years about the most famous athlete on the planet at the time uh, and, and about everything surrounding them. I Again, I, the, the, the ratings number I think is going to be fascinating here because it's going to show, in my opinion, kind of how, how much ESPN can, at the highest, highest end, tap into people who are sports fans but are not watching live sports. And, and on the other end, if, if they end up lower than I think people think, there may be a lesson here in that there is no actual replacement, even in, in desperate times, that there may not be a replacement at all for a playoff basketball game or a playoff hockey game
0: there's a clip that just breaks me up when I, when I see this and one of the clips involves, and at the time, remember that uh, Dennis Rodman was with the Chicago Bulls and he, <laughs> the Jordan is talking about how he, that uh, they, about a vacation that uh, he <laughs> that he was teammate was going to take 48 hours in Las Vegas, Dennis Rodman, and Jordan simply said, if he goes to Vegas, he's not coming back. <laughs> he's not coming <laughs> back at all. I, I I just started cracking up, and, and then Dennis Rodman starts cracking up when he sees the clip. Uh, it, it is too funny. I agree with you.
1: There's lots in here that, that shows how different the NBA was 20 years ago, 15 <laughs> years ago than it is it is right now. And some fun, you know, sports business show. A, a lot of interesting sports business stuff in there, right? Michael Jordan's, yeah. you know, relationship with Nike mm-hmm. and how close he came to signing with Adidas, which Michael, if you remember when we had Gary Stoken on the podcast last year, he was the guy at Adidas that was recruiting Michael Jordan. And he talked about how close he came. If they had just opened, you know, I think it was $2 million. If they were offering $2 million more, Michael would have been in Adidas instead of Nike and how different the, the sports wow. business landscape might look look after that uh, Adam Silver now commissioner of the NBA was you know president of the ESPN's entertainment division back then he's the guy that negotiated having these cameras follow Jackson and Jordan and the Bulls for that year ended up with 10,000 hours of footage. There's a lot of interesting kind of side aspects to this, including the fact, you know, that they ESPN asked the producers to rush this up, right? They realized exactly what we're talking about, that people are maybe starved for content. Uh, There's not much sports happening right now. This is something that's going to appeal to a very wide base of sports fans. And as a result, they sped the thing up to get it ready to, to be viewed in April, as opposed to a few months later.
0: Speaking of the NBA, Let's talk about the number one prospect in the 2020 ESPN 100, California high school star Jalen Green. He is making a leap and he is going straight to the G League, according to what sources are saying. And and, And I'm thinking about this. I'm wondering, is this the best time to do it with the circumstances or the worst time?
1: So this is a this is a really interesting one in in my opinion. You know, for so long it was elite high school players go to the NCAA and then they go pro. And now we're starting to see some alternative options pop up that are alluring. You know, we saw a few players go play in New Zealand and Australia last year for about a hundred thousand dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. The NCAA route is still there. Now the NBA is is upping its its G League ante, right? So they are now creating this development program for young players who wanna, instead of going to the NCAA, can get paid. A lot of money $500,000 or more depending on kind of what the bonus is like Um, get some development get to play some games get scouted by league personnel etc and then jump to the league the next year Um, I'm curious and, and Mike weigh in here is this a kind of a breaking of the dam a little bit do you think we're gonna see more and more of these elite prospects maybe choosing routes other than the NCAA and if you're an NCAA coach or administrator are you are you worried by this at all
2: well, I can tell you where, where most of the tears are coming from right now, Lexington, Kentucky in John Calipari's <laughs> eyes, <laughs> because he is the king of the one-and-done players, obviously. But I think it's, it, it, it's a great avenue. I think it's, just a, it, it, it's an awful tease for the NCAA uh, basketball fan, and especially if you're at a school when players come in and it's one-and-done. So here's an alternative avenue uh, that deters the players from going down under and playing in Australia. And they're going to be uh, matched up with uh, some some veteran NBA guys, and there's supposed to be some mentoring in terms of... uh life uh life learning skills, et cetera, that go along with being an eighteen year old kid and being on the road and being on your own with an awful lot of money for all of a sudden so I, I think it's a pretty good idea by by the NBA. they've come to the realization that this one and done thing is is a little bit of an embarrassment uh, and it, it 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 hurts the the colleges and uh, and if if the intent is coming out of high school, I want to go straight to the NBA. This is sort of uh, your, your minor league, uh, where you're going to go and you're going to, uh, it's your prep school, how's that, for a year? You're going to go and you're going to learn some life skills, you're going to get paid, and you're going to uh, develop your basketball skills, and then the next year you hopefully be ready to go to the NBA. I don't think it's a bad idea at all.
1: And it benefits the NBA significantly as well. I mean, sure. let's not forget the re- the reason why one, the, people have to go to – or not have to go to college, but the reason why you can't go from high school to the pros right now is because the NBA essentially outlawed it because they wanted more time to evaluate and better evaluate prospects. They didn't want to invest in a 17-year-old who might not make it uh, at all in the league. Playing in the NBA G League gives NBA teams and NBA personnel the best possible avenue to scout players to understand how good they are, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. And that helps the entire league because it helps them all make more informed decisions and maybe not waste money on on a pick that they just didn't have enough background on to get it. Michael, question for you. If... We see more athletes making this jump. Let's say that the, 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 the elitist of the elite high school prospects end up taking avenues that are that are not college basketball. Is there a risk there for college basketball or not? I mean, obviously, these schools are not going away. They're always going to field kids. What's the stronger brand, do you think? The, the elite basketball at this age or a brand like Duke or a brand like Kentucky?
0: Well, you give a 17-year-old kid and you have the pay that you can make for an elite prospect at a... Half a million dollars. How are you going to stop that? I mean, it's that's hard and for the uh for the NCAA to compete with. Now, granted, (laughs) you know, I mean, how, how are you going to do that? It's now if you are you know like Joe Blow athlete and you're offered a scholarship, maybe it's something totally different. But if someone offers you a half a million dollars and you're 17 years old, I know me, I would lose my
1: mind. So here's my question. Here's my counter to that, right? Think, think about someone like Zion Williamson, you know, who was an all-star, can't-miss prospect out of high school. A lot of people knew who he was, would have been drafted in the NBA if he could have right out of high school, obviously. If he goes to the G League and, you know, remains a fantastic prospect, but not as many people watch him. He's not on ESPN three times a week because of, you know, the G League media contracts, et cetera. Is he as big a deal when he hits the NBA? Is his shoe deal less Because he didn't go to Duke versus maybe not getting paid in college, but having a platform and having, you know, millions of people watching him every week to help build kind of the the, the lore around his brand.
0: Well, you get the exposure, but I hate to put it like this, but half of his shoe deal came along because he blew out half a shoe. And, it, I mean, it made so much news about that that all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's like hitting another lottery ticket. So I I, I get what you're saying. You get the exposure when you're, when you're playing in college and you, and you see Zion Williamson. And, but what I'm saying is eventually once sports gets
2: back to some normalcy, why not televise a lot of the G League games? I'm saying if I'm an NCAA basketball fan and I'm watching the, uh, the March Madness with 65, uh, 64 teams, um, I'm, I'm not missing Jalen Green. I'm not missing Zion uh, Williamson. I'm, I'm looking at what the product is right here. So I don't think it hurts the NCAA or the NCAA tournament, and I think at the same time it benefits those that are going to go into the G League. They're still going to get their shoe deals. They're still going to get their anywhere from two to $500,000. I think it's win-win for both.
1: I agree with you, and, and you know, there's also this this group of players that just aren't top, you know, wonderkin prospects mm. out of high school who end up developing in college and end up being great pros, right? I mean, Obi Topin, sure. who was the, the number one player in, in college basketball this year, you know, wasn't really heavily recruited. Russell Westbrook wasn't recruited really either out of high school. You know, there's still going to be this class of players who develop into like surefire super, superstars in the NBA, John ja Morant, another one, um, but just weren't good enough in high school to have the $500,000 G League offer, period. So I agree with you, Mike and Michael. I think, you know, college basketball is still going to be fine. it's great to have more different options for for these kids who are supremely talented that young
0: let's talk about your story uh evan and this involves college athletic departments and budgets just getting slammed right now because uh, we don't know what's going to happen uh come fall uh the worst case scenario for the football season is that we don't have a football season for college uh, (laughs) athletics. And what makes it really hard is that for many colleges, that's their bread and butter for getting revenue.
1: Yeah. So, you know, no question – Every, every major athletic department in the country is going to be pinched for money this year. We don't know how bad it's going to be because, as you said, Michael, we don't know what's going to happen with the football season. What I'm very interested in is the different ways in which different athletic departments are going about accounting for some of this budget hits right now. So we've seen some schools like Louisville and Iowa State make all their coaches and administrators take a certain pay cut. We've seen some schools like Old Dominion and Cincinnati who are starting to cut programs. So Old Dominion cut its wrestling program. Cincinnati cut its men's soccer program. We have other ones, which I wrote about this week. Clemson has halted its capital projects. It is thinking about travel and maybe scheduling for some sports as a way to, uh, to cut costs. But we're, we're starting to see different approaches by different schools. And I think it's really interesting to see how, how they all play out. Mike, when you think about the different ways that, that colleges can can cut these you know can, can save some money, are there ones that, you, that make more sense to you than others
2: well and the non revenue sports are obviously the first target coming up um, softball um, i don 't want to say baseball but maybe outdoor track uh, in in the springtime. Uh, I worry about the Division two and the Division three schools as well um, that really have you know if they get five hundred people at a football game that 's nice they rely on alumni. Alumni donations. Um, this 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 is going to hurt, and any school that that's been pondering for years uh, the future of some program uh, is going to make it much easier for them now to make a decision to to cut them. Um, I know that FBS has to have a minimum of 16 varsity inter- intercollegiate sports, and it's going to be a tough call for some athletic directors. There's there's no question about it. And, you know, the big paycheck that comes from the NCAA basketball tournament, which is usually, uh, I think, roughly around $600 million a year that gets uh, dispersed to the schools in June is now down to about a third of that. So there's some, there's some tough, tough calls coming up. Uh, my fear is not so much Division I, uh, it, it's Division Two II and Three. And the other thing you're talking about, cutting down on travel, uh, I talked to Richard Creswick, who's manages, company manages around 300 arenas around the world. And... He said, you know, travel face-to-face travel now is going to probably be done on Zoom. Now, instead of sending coaches around the country to uh, uh, recruit players and sit in the living rooms and talk to mom and dad, will they now be doing it uh, via Zoom uh, as opposed to uh, getting on the airplane and spending all the money and hitting the road for a couple of weeks? And, you know, that, could that be a way for, for colleges to save money in the, re, in the recruiting pro, uh, process? That's all kinds of things you're yeah. thinking about here.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I would hope, I mean, I would like to think that that fewer schools are going to take the old Dominion Cincinnati route and cut programs. I mean, if I yep. was an administrator, you know, I would like to think that you know opportunities for athletes are are the last things that would go. And mm-hmm. if I have to pay my strength coach half as much, if I have to, you know, as you say, send my football coach on half as many recruiting trips, whatever it is, if I have to not, you know, renovate the concourse in my football stadium, I, and I get that some of those things are are directly bringing money in, but I, I would like to think that the opportunity for athletes themselves isn't one of the first things. On On the chopping block here. Michael, the former guest of this program, John Curry, who's the athletic director at Wake Forest, I thought gave a a great interview over the weekend mentioned two things that I think gets lost in this discussion a lot. One is the unfortunate fact that the uh, schools are going to save a bit of money. In Wake Forest, it sounds like it's $800,000 from the fact that there are no summer, no spring sports happening. So there is an unfortunate savings that happens there. And then secondly, you know, when schools like Old Dominion and Cincinnati, when they cut programs, they often point to the amount of money it takes for scholarships, et cetera, for those programs – But for schools that are not fully enrolled, a lot of those partial scholarships or teams that have players with no scholarships are actually making money for the university. And at Wake Forest, he gave his example, their athletes pay $10 million out of pocket every year to the school for tuition. Now I don't know how much they're getting in in scholarship aid. It's probably a little bit more than that. But I think the fact that a lot of these sports, and I'm sure the wrestling team at Old Dominion and the men's soccer team at Cincinnati was like this, a lot of those people are paying either full ride or partial ride. There's more money delivered to some of these schools than I think a lot of people think.
0: I I think eventually when we get all past this, those programs are coming back. Now, if you were you know, a, a highlight in horseshoes, well, it's going to be tough for you because that's, that's not coming back. But, I mean, uh, programs like wrestling and things like that, we're going to come out on the other side of this. Uh, it's just right now we're just in a, a devastating free fall. I, I think uh, Iowa State athletic director, and you put it in your story, Jamie Pollard, he said it the best. He said, a year without football is compared to the ice age, and <laughs> yeah. I, I just I I, I I just can't imagine a year without college football.
1: Yeah, and, and financially, this becomes a very different conversation if we hit that point. If we hit a point where there's no college football this year or it gets pushed to the spring, whatever it looks like, uh, the the financial constraints that, ath- that that athletic directors are dealing with right now become a very different conversation when there's no football revenue coming in. Uh, so, you know, again, I think if we get to that point, you know, we'll have to rehab this conversation because I think it changes a lot of things. But hopefully, I mean, at least right now... These schools are all hoping they get football in in some capacity they get some of that money in and the game becomes kind of bridging the gap between this fiscal year and the fiscal year after when hopefully things are fully back to normal
0: this is the bloomberg business of sports podcast for boston's own mike lynch i'm michael barr along with Eben novi
1: williams Join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday as we explore the big money issues in the world of sports.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts.